Brothers and sisters, let me have your attention just for a minute. If you have a red Equinox parked out front, security's getting ready to write a ticket on that. You might want to go move it. Appreciate it. Plug you in. Okay, that, yeah, that's the thing. Get this thing on, and then I'll turn it on after we get the static all on you. And We invite you to try and find a seat, but uh, it looks much like yesterday that we're going to have more people than seats. I tried to get us to move to Stewart, but they practice music there while we're here. And so uh, we got the biggest place on the campus other than Stewart, and the musicians practice there while we're meeting here. And, and so we have no choice. Uh, the fire marshals have not come by to visit us, so we'll, we'll hope they stay away one more day. And, uh, but we are glad that you can be here. Just find a place up against the wall if you don't find a seat. And, and uh, have you enjoyed Pastor Goya this? You know, us pastors, we do not get to pick and choose our jobs during camp meeting. Do, you do know we work during camp meeting, don't you? Yeah, we, we don't get to pick what we do necessarily. Uh, some are assigned at the Adventist Book Center, and some are 
are assigned to be ushers in different places. And, and about a month ago, I found out I was assigned to stage duty, platform duty, and to be a shadow for one of our presenters for our seminars. I didn't know which one just yet. And when I got here, I found out it was Pavel Goya. I could not have asked to shadow anybody better this week. It has been my joy to be his shadow uh, for this five days. And I almost hate for them to come to an end, but uh, Pastor Goya is heading for a Kentucky camp meeting. Uh, literally, as he finishes with us in this seminar at 1030 today, he takes off and heads for Kentucky camp meeting. And so we pray for his, the blessing of his traveling today. And, and thank you. I, we had the biggest crowds, and yet you have been kind, and you have been generous, and you have been understanding that I could not provide everybody a seat. And I, I wish I could have, but uh, uh, you have been a, a, a wonderful, wonderful audience, and so we appreciate you very much for your understanding for us today. If there, is there, if there are seats open, have them probably raise the hand yeah. so many people could sit. If there are empty seats beside you and they're not reserved, raise your hand because I've got some people. And, and as people, people keep coming in till 940 sometimes, but if you've got an empty seat beside you, raise your hand and let the people in the back kind of see you. So there are hands there if you... Over here. If you want, you can. There are hands raised. You can go there and sit. I might not have a lot of locations left with two or three seats together, but ones and. Okay. Let's have our. Uh... Hold on a second. There is one seat here. There you go. Come, come we'll and give take up it. that seat. Come and take it. You can there. put it there. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our camp meeting experience this year. We are so grateful that we can be here this morning. We have enjoyed immensely Pastor Goya this week. We pray for his safety as he travels after he finishes this seminar this morning. Father, I pray for all of us that as camp meeting now reaches its final hours, that we have drawn closer to you because of this experience. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with our equipment this week. It's worked so wonderfully. Thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It has been a pleasure and a privilege. It's not working yet. Let's see. Is it working? Yes. You can hear me? Okay. It has been a pleasure and a privilege for me too. Let's never forget to keep our eyes on God, not on people, because people are people. If you want to know more about me, you better talk to my wife. She can tell you about me. <laughs> so, yeah, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Secondly, when you start... Experiencing God, when you start praying, again and again, people come back to me and people tell me that nothing happened. Remember, transformation is not an event. It's a process. It takes time. Relationships take time. Don't expect an explosion, a change overnight. 
Just keep praying, make it a lifestyle, because if you don't give up, it's going to happen. But it's a slow process. You need to remember that. God is patient with us. We need to be patient with us. Basically, if you don't see change, don't look for change. Look for Jesus. Just keep praying. Keep praying. Moreover, if you forget one day and you don't pray, don't get discouraged. Oh, I am up and down. Uh-uh. The righteous, the Bible says, gets down seven times, but he gets up again. When you say that, that tells me that you look to self. That's how you know that you are up and down, because you look to self. If you look to God, you don't know how you are. Don't spend time looking to self. You'll get discouraged. Doesn't matter if you get down. Get up again. Keep moving. Because even if you get up and down, if overall you get up, God keeps working on you. Therefore, you need to put your faith in him, not in you. Okay, before we start, uh, do you have questions? Okay, one here. Okay, he says, how do you structure your prayer between praise and requests and uh, relationship and so on? Listen carefully. You don't have necessarily to have a structure. However, so, so, I was trying to learn about swimming when I was a kid. So I took some swimming books and read and still didn't know. And my father told him, told me, you can read forever. Before you jump in the water, you will never swim. (laughs) You cannot learn about prayer, talking about prayer. Get busy praying. First, secondly, while there is no structure, there is structure. So, just listen. This is how it goes. While prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend, it's an honest conversation. In the same time, There are a few points that are extremely important. And one of them is this. You are not safe to ask before you praise. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible for God to work with us. And if we go and have no faith, he cannot deliver. Therefore, it's not because he likes to be flattered. Oh, when they talk how good I am, I love it. Uh -uh, God doesn't need our flattering. We need to flatter him. Because when you praise him, when you focus on promises, this is key. When you focus on promises and read them back, it's not that God lost his memory. You need to read them. As you read them back to God, as you tell God what he has done for you in the past, it feeds, it nurtures, it reinforces your faith. And it gives you faith and joy. And as you have faith, You can ask him. You need first faith in order to ask. You follow me? Okay. So therefore I spend time talking about God. And then I spend time talking about me. Do you understand? Okay. Different question. How do you avoid your mind going places when you pray? In the beginning, your mind will go places. Just don't give up. However, the more you pray, the less it will go places. And now let me tell you how I do it. People don't know who they, 
they talk with and their mind goes places. You need to remember who you are addressing. Therefore, when I start prayer and spend time talking about him, I tell myself that I entered the throne of glory. I entered the most holy place in the universe. I enter into God's presence where angels cover themselves. And as I tell myself that, I start realizing that he is there. And that I don't need to scream or to feel he can hear me. And that helps me to realize so my mind doesn't go blank. I make it real. I don't make it a routine. When you have a routine, it's easy for the mind to go because you go through the motions. But when, you, when it's real and you realize that you go in God's presence, it doesn't happen so often. But also, you need to practice it. Different question. You talk about praying quietly in your mind versus out loud. Praying quietly versus out loud. Honestly, I don't know the difference. I do both. As it comes. Sometimes I sing and whistle and sometimes I just think. And I am on my pillow on my knees by the bed because it's comfortable to have a pillow under. And then I finish saying amen, get on my bed, and I keep talking. And I fall asleep praying, and it's wonderful to fall asleep praying. It says in the Bible in, whoa, I got too close. It says in the Bible, in Psalm, that in the watches of the night, I think about you. But in Hebrew, it doesn't say so. In Hebrew, it says that in the middle of the night, you wait for me to think about you. That means that you fall asleep talking to God and he's there by your bed waiting. When you wake up, he's there and says, I'm here. Let's keep talking. In the morning when you wake up, he's still there. I'm here. Let's keep talking. He's waiting for you. You had a question. What is the difference between faith and presumption? The difference is between your will and God's will. When you ask God something that you think that is good and it may be good, that's presumption. When you tune your will with God's will and why says, that's faith. That's the reason I say, pray for what you pray before you pray for what you pray. <laughs> tune your will with God's will. That's the difference. You need to make sure that God wants that. You cannot afford to do something just because you think it's good. Yes. How do you help kids understand prayer? I don't know the answer. What I do... I tell them stories, including crazy stories. When I would put jelly jam in the shoes of the other youth from the church when we were camping. When I would take a tube and rice and from the balcony shoot in the heads of those in the church who were sleeping during the sermon. <laughs> and as I tell my kids stories, I tell them how God changed my life. And kids love stories better than theory. And it gets to them. And it does two things. Number one, builds friendship between me and my kids. Number two, they learn from stories. Because if I tell them, don't do that, they don't like it. But if I tell them what I did and how God worked, it works. I'm not sure if that's the way. I just, that's how I do it. Questions? Yes. This is very important. Deliverance 
is before God gives you the law. Because people want to change to go to God. That cannot happen. You cannot change yourself. You need to go to God and he can change you. You may change your external behavior, but you'll never change your heart. And he wants to give you a new heart. And that's the miracle. It's not behavior. Because human nature is going to come out again and again every once in a while. And you need him every day. Therefore, you need first Jesus and deliverance. And as you get Jesus, now listen carefully. You fall in love with him and you make a covenant. And then you start learning to obey. So baptism comes right after deliverance. They were delivered from Egypt. First thing they did, they went to the Red Sea. Where Paul says that they were baptized in the Red Sea. And then at the Sinai, God gave them the law. So you fall in love with Jesus. You make a covenant. And then he starts working on you. And sometimes we expect people to change. It's good if they have a desire. But change takes a life. It's a process. Change is the wilderness experience. Deliverance is the Red Sea experience. The baptism is getting out of Egypt, being baptized. And then change takes a while. Okay, a couple of more questions and we start. Yes. Okay, that's a tough one. For those of you that were in the morning in the big auditorium, if you didn't, I recommend that you get the recording or you go on the internet and listen. I talked about the three stages that anybody who wants to be saved must experience. Otherwise, there is no salvation. Because salvation is in God. Without experience with God, you have no salvation. Eternal life is to know him. You don't know him, you have no life. When I talked about that, he says... Can you sin until the last moment? Because there are some people who say that we need Christ's character to be reproduced in us. And some people say we will never be perfect. Because I know so many people who died. And none of them that I know was perfect. Really. None of them that I know was perfect. And I cannot believe that none of them will be saved. In fact... The thief on the cross will be saved. And he was the worst among all. And Paul says, the closer he gets to Christ, he says, I am the worst among sinners. I am the chief of sinners. So let's, let me tell you the answer. People don't know and they struggle. But the same story, be holy, says in Matthew, as your father in heaven is holy. The same story to the word, to the letter, is given in Luke. Word by word. is the same one, copy and paste, repeated. You have the story in two places. Matthew says, be holy. And Luke says, love perfect, as God loves perfect. So that makes me think, is it talking about holiness or love? So I go to the Greek, as I usually do when I prepare my sermons. When I look into the Greek, it doesn't refer to living a perfect life, though we should desire a perfect life. But it refers to a relationship that is perfect. To the point that you have God's love to feel yourself, God's presence to feel yourself. And now this is the answer to your question. If you have a daily perfect relationship with Christ, regardless where you are in the growth process, in the beginning, a stinker, 
thief on the cross? In the middle, Mother Teresa? Or at the end, Paul? Regardless where you are, as long as you are in that relationship with Christ, you are perfect because it's Christ's righteousness and perfection that is in you working. And as long as he is working, you are saved. If you turn around from that relationship, doesn't matter how good you are, you are lost. Do you understand how people can have the peace of salvation? Having a daily perfect relationship with Christ. That's what you need to seek. Okay, different question. Last one. So, practical question. Men being the priest of the home. In the home, we are equal. In Christ, there is no male, female, Greek, Jew in Christ. We are equal. However, God gave us different... When he says that the woman is the weak vessel, in Greek doesn't say weak. It says sensitive. And people twist it because of the translation. And they don't know. I'm, I, I go there. I go there. I get there. I, I got the question. So, I'm going there. As in the home, we are equal. God loves us the same. However, God gives us different responsibilities. In the church, we are equal. God loves us the same. But God gives us different responsibilities. Not all are pastors, not all are elders, not all are deacons, not all are greeters. However, you cannot say a deacon is more important than a greeter. No. Because the higher you are, the more responsibilities you have, the more you have to serve, the more you are responsible for the others. Therefore, in God's eyes, we are, elder is not higher than greeter. He loves us the same. It's just he has a different job. As in the body, eye has a job, mouth has a different job, legs have a different job. Which one is important? Which one should you give up? None of them. Mouth needs legs. <laughs> Therefore, you cannot say, oh, he is only a greeter. Without good greeters, a church is not a good church. You follow me? But God gives us different responsibilities in the family. And the husband has the spiritual responsibilities over the family. You follow me? However, what people don't understand, the husband has over the whole family, the mother has the responsibility over the children and over the husband. And I can show it to you. I don't have time right now to spend in it. But in the Hebrew tradition, based on the Old Testament culture, when they met together, and I can prove it with the Bible, Friday night when they started Sabbath, they prepared the big table. They had the best food ever. They had the best clothing. And they called the presence of the Lord. And then they ate together. And before they ate, the father blessed the mother Using a Bible verse from Psalm, I actually preached in my church about how they kept Sabbath in Jesus' time. And then we had a Friday night Sabbath open in the whole church, and we did exactly what they did. We had a table, we had the husbands read to the wives. We did that in the church. It was just amazing. And then the wife 
blessed the children, reading also a psalm, and blessed the husband. And then the husband, and that's what you asked and I answered, called the presence of the Lord in the Sabbath over the family. So the husband, the mother had the role to bless the husband and the children, and the husband had the role to connect them with God. Okay, in a nutshell. It takes a whole hour to go a little through it, okay? But just in a nutshell. So they have different responsibilities, but equal love. No more questions. That's it. (laughs) So I am between so many... uh, so many, right now, I don't know what to decide. I have something here about second coming that I thought it would be good for you to know before I go. But also, I have a couple of stories that I thought I should tell you because somebody yesterday talked to me and it touched my heart. And when people go through tragedies, when people lose somebody, what do you do? When somebody dies in your family, what do you do? And that lady that talked to me put on Facebook a Bible verse from Psalm 23 last night. And I want to say something. If she's here or not, I don't know. But she may listen to it later. From Psalm 23, it says, When I go through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. Listen carefully. It doesn't say when I go to. It says when I go True. That means that's not the end. First part of Psalm 23. What shall I need? I need nothing. God takes care of your daily needs. Second part. God goes with you through the tragedy. Third part. All the days of my life. God takes care of eternity. He takes care of your daily needs. He takes care of you when you go to death and he gets you in heaven. If you follow carefully Psalm 23. And let me explain. He says, even there, when you are blind and dead and don't hear and don't know, I am by your grave watching. And I'll get you out. And I'll get you in heaven and give you eternity. Let me explain how that works. He knows because he has been in the grave. And if he came out, we will come out. So we should not fix our eyes on the grave, but on the resurrection and on him. Let me explain a little. There was a story. You may not know the story, but her name is, give me a second to find the name here. Her name is Jennifer Rothschild. Jennifer Rothschild. She is an author. She wrote 11 books. She developed a disease, I forgot the name, when she was 15, that until she was 28, slowly she lost her sight, and she was totally blind. And that ruined her life. She was married, she had children, she could not do anything. She could not even go to work or cook. She was just blind. And she got depressed. And her husband said, honey, I love you, and I am with you all the way. Don't worry. And he taught her 
He taught her how to go to the kitchen, how to go to the bathroom, how many steps. You make so many steps straight, and then you take a right one step, and then you do this. And He taught her how to find the salt and the oil, how to cook. He taught her until she, after about six months, started to survive in the house. And then after another three, four, five, six months, she became confident, and she was functioning again. And now he said, it's time for you to go to work. You need to get your life together. Let's go to work. Can I do it? No, you cannot. But I go with you. I am with you all the way through. You are never alone. So he took her to work. And he drove there there. And then he said, you get to the building. Now you have eight steps up. Two steps. Open the door. Twelve steps straight. Five steps up. Right. Two steps. And she went through the motion daily. And after three months, she could count. Tang, 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 up, tang, 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 right, tang, tang, tang. And she would get to her desk, and she would get the computer, and she would get, and she did not use the computer, but nevertheless, <coughs> she started to function. He would drive her to work, get her in her desk, leave. Cross the town, he was an, milita- he was an ar- army officer. Cross the town, go to his military base, go to his work. At 5 p.m., <coughs> cross the town, go pick her up, get her home. But it was not sustainable because <coughs> traffic jam, he would be late every day for work. So after about one year, <coughs> he said to her, honey, I just cannot do it. You need to go alone. And she said, I feel you abandon me. I feel you leave me. Don't you know that I am blind? Don't you know that I cannot go to work alone? <coughs> That's how we feel when we go through tragedies. I feel you abandon me. He said, honey, you may not see it, but I am always with you. You are never alone. I'm going to make sure that you do it. So he taught her how many steps until you get to the bus station. This is how you know when it's your bus. This is how you get in the bus. And about six months, she got it. Monday, first day, she goes alone to work. She's afraid, but she goes. And she gets in the bus, and she sits down, and then she gets down at work, crosses the parking place, and then she goes so many steps to the parking and so many steps up, and and she gets to her desk. Tuesday the same, Wednesday the same. Thursday, as she gets in the bus, the bus driver says, ma'am, you are certainly the luckiest lady I've seen in my life. And she says, what are you talking about? He says, well, I've never seen anybody so loved as you are loved. And she says, what are you talking about? He says, ma'am, when you get off that building, there is this guy in military uniform <laughs> watching you. And as you go through the parking and count the steps and get to the bus, he's counting the steps and he's watching carefully. When you get in the bus, Amen. he's there watching you. When the door closes, he gets in his car and follows the bus. When you get off the bus, he's there part, watching you and counting. When you get in the building, he's watching you. As you close the building, he leaves. Five o'clock, he's there. When you get off the building, his eyes are on you. And ma'am, I've never seen anybody so loved. And this is what amazes me. When you get in the bus and the bus leaves, he gets straight and he salutes you. And then he gives you a kiss. Folks, 
You may be blind. You may go through tragedies. He's watching you. This is what we never get. Because we fix our eyes on our problems. We are short-sighted. We don't fix our eyes on Jesus to know how good he is. So whatever you go through, take your eyes off the problem. Because God is amazing. I'm going to say this. When I do pruning to my trees with agriculture, I learned this from my teacher in Norway. Victor Monroy is his name. A whole story. The guy had cancer. He was supposed to die. He prayed. God healed him. He dedicated his life. He's in Rwanda taking care of orphans. A big story. I'm not going to tell the story. So, Victor Monroy has two PhDs. One in Germany, one in Switzerland. In organic agriculture, both. Victor Monroy, when I would prune trees, I was in the apple tree pruning or on the ladder pruning. And Victor would say, that's not the way you do pruning. You are too close to the branches. You need to get off the tree and step as far as possible and see the whole tree, see the whole picture. And then you get close and cut, and then you depart again and see the whole picture. And then you really see what you should cut, and then you get close. If you are too close, you never know what you need to cut, what you need to leave. That's what we do in our spiritual life. We are too close to the problem, and we don't see it. You need to step away from your problem and take a look to the big picture. You follow me? Okay, no more stories. What time is it? Oof. 10 o'clock, we don't have time. <laughs> 10 o'clock. So, let's talk a little about second coming. It says there, go first to the last ship of Israel. Why? And tell them that the kingdom is at hand. Why would God send them to preach to the Adventist church and not to preach to the others? Because in Revelation, the Adventist church is at sleep. Illinois says that we are at sleep. The ten virgins were at sleep. In fact, if you go to the quotation in Gospel Workers or Second Testimony, it says, by the sleeping disciples, man, what happened? By the sleeping disciples, is representing a sleeping church. When God's visitation is nigh, when God's second coming is close, when to be found asleep is perilous, is dangerous. Christ is at the door. Men and women in the last hour of probation are careless and foolish. Preachers have no power to arouse them. They all are asleep. Sleeping ministers preaching to sleeping people. There is something with the sound. I don't know exactly what. Hopefully, I can try to fix it, but I don't know how. Okay, let's keep my head up. Okay. I look to the computer, but that's okay. So, folks, in a nutshell, Jesus talking about the second coming gives them uh, three parables. And he talks about the ten virgins, the talents, and then 
judging them based on service. I was poor, I was naked, I was, and you gave, and you fed me, and you visited me, and you whatever. Three parables. All of them, they ask him, how do we know, how we do, get, do we get ready? All of them give the same message. How do you get ready for the second coming? Service. You don't get ready by going to church. You don't get ready by studying your Bible. You should go to church and read the Bible. But you don't get ready doing that. You get ready by serving. The servants that fed the other servants were ready when the master came. The servants that did not feed the other servants, they started to beat. Because when you don't serve, you start to abuse your fellow brothers. Therefore, the ten virgins, they were called to serve. If you don't know, they were supposed to keep the lights on the streets to show the way to the wedding. That was their job. Therefore, people who serve are people who get ready for the second coming. People who are lazy are not Adventists. They are not Christians. They just do damage to the church. When you have the motor to the train and too many wagons, it's hard for the train to pull the whole thing. They should all pull, not be lazy. Anyway, let's move on. And Jesus, they asked him, how do we know about the destruction of Jerusalem? How do we know about the second coming? Because they thought it's the same thing. And Jesus answers to both. And he gives the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs of the end. And then he gives them the faithful servant versus the evil lazy servant. So my question is this. How do you watch and how do you wait? How do you get oil? How do you multiply your talents? Okay, so let's go through it. Let's go through it quick. It says there, it talks in fact about the invest, whatever English, stigative judgment. And if it talks about the judgment, listen carefully, we'll, we'll go through it quick. If he talks about the judgment, Jesus is coming soon. We live during the judgment. Listen carefully now. What are you supposed to do in order to be saved? Listen carefully. When are you ready? What will you be doing in the last days? There is a time when the Bible says, who is just will remain just, who is filthy will remain filthy, probation is closed, it is finished, no more salvation. Before Jesus comes, the probation closes. When that day comes, what will you be doing that very day? What will you be doing that very day? I tell you exactly what you will be doing that day. What you do today, you'll be doing that day. Exactly what you do today, you'll be doing that day. And let me prove it to you. The Bible says, Today is the day of salvation, not then. Today, if you hear his voice, not then. Jesus says, when they said, how will it be? Jesus says, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. What was in the days of Noah? They ate, went to work, worked, went back home, went shopping, cooking, cleaning their house, building, Got married, went to sleep, 
What is wrong with that? Nothing. Shouldn't you go to work? Shouldn't you eat and sleep? What's wrong with that? It's going to be like in Lot's day. How was in Lot's day? They ate, bought, sold, uh, sold, planted, built. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Listen, folks. It's going to be like in Noah's day. It's going to be like in Lot's day. Let's see how it was in order to know how we should do it. Before we go there, it says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel staying in the most holy place, then those who are in Judea, don't go back for the iPad, just run. <laughs> <laughs> Listen carefully. The word abomination is belugma. That means, translation, something detestable, rooted in idolatry, that goes against God and goes against God's holy institutions. Let me ask you, what are those God's holy institutions? Marriage and? In Jesus' time, desolation was when the Romans brought the idols in the most holy place in the temple. Today, there is no temple, there is no Romans, there are no idols to keep them on sticks. But the word means when something that idolatry goes against God's holy institutions. If God's institutions are Sabbath and marriage, when you see the church, I'm not talking necessarily about the Adventist church, when you see religions going against marriage and Sabbath, that's the time. That's the time when you need to run. That's the time when you move to countryside. Okay, let's go. So, I'm going to talk about it. How is it going to happen? Jesus says, like in Noah's day, they ate, got married. Okay. Listen, folks. How was in Noah's day? If you don't change today, you'll not change tomorrow, and you'll not change then. You'll never change. In fact, the more you procrastinate, the harder it will be for you to change. Therefore, it's less likely that you change tomorrow, and even less likely that you change next day. You never stay there. You go either up or down. There is no way to stay in the middle. So the more you procrastinate your relationship with Christ, the worse, the more insensitive you get. You get crocodile scales on your skin and nobody's going to move you. You say, oh, wonderful sermon. I'll get busy praying. You go home and you say, I am busy, but I do it starting tomorrow. No, you'll not do it tomorrow if you don't do it today. Tomorrow you'll have another excuse. Oh, today I have to do this and that. You'll never do it. So, how was it in Noah's time? What happened in Noah's time? In Noah's time, God gave Noah a message. Build the ark. There will be flood. Now, people were smart. They had Weather Channel and they had CNN. <laughs> and they had knowledge and they had good jobs and they were engineers and doctors. And they said, that doesn't make any sense. Flood? What is flood? Rain? We have never seen rain. It cannot happen. Just because you have not seen it, that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It will happen. And they started to explain why it cannot happen. And Noah was stupid. He started to build an ark. And he put it on the top of the mountain. Brother, get your act together. If the rain comes, water goes down. 
You are in the top of the mountain. You are safe. You don't need an ark. You see, people always find explanations and excuses when they don't want to change something. When you want to change, you don't look for explanations. They went to the doctor, said that he lost his mind. They went to the conference and complained against Pastor Noah. <laughs> they called him to the board. He was the single one preaching that. What's wrong with you? What? The others, are they bad? They are good people. God is going to kill all of them. You think that you are holy? He didn't care what the others say. Because when you have a relationship with Christ, doesn't matter what people say. You do what you are supposed to do, period. So, he built for 120 years. Listen, do you think that the others in the church were evil? He was the single good one. The whole world was bad. Well, there were bad people. The Bible says so. But not everybody. Listen. The men of that generation were not all idolaters. Many were worshippers of God. Seventh-day Adventists. They went to church, kept Sabbath, and ate tofu. <laughs> Their man- minds became so blinded by constant rejection of the light. How do you get blinded? You don't do it today. You don't do it tomorrow. Eventually, you get blinded and deaf and insensitive. They manifested their contempt for the warning of God by doing just what they have done before. What is the problem with marrying, building, going to work? What is the problem? I tell you what is the problem. We are creatures of habit. And we do this today, and we do this tomorrow, and we do this for 10 years, and it becomes habit, and it becomes character, and it becomes who you are. And then when you are that way, you are not going to change. Leave my tools alone. Don't touch them. I don't like change. When my wife moves furniture and tools, it drives me crazy. (laughs) I like it there. Don't touch it. We don't like change. Who does? And if you do the same thing every day, you'll The more you do it, the less likely is that you'll change it. Therefore, you must act today. Don't do the same tomorrow. You follow me? That's the problem. It becomes habit. It becomes who you are. And then you cannot change it because that's who you are. You don't even hear it because you are justified. You think you are right. Noah is wrong. He doesn't even make any sense. Because he hears the voice of God and you don't. You are all into forms. Routine. A religion that is dangerous. It makes you feel good because you do the routine. And you don't even know that you do the routine. The period of their probation was about to expire. That's talking about us. Now the servant of God made his last solemn appeal. Animals obeyed God. People didn't. They hardened their hearts by persistent rejection of the light. How do you harden your heart? You don't do it today. You don't do it tomorrow. Your heart is going to get hard. You'll never do it. Do you see the point? Okay, let's move on. If you don't do it now, you'll never do it. You'll be paralyzed in your way. Whatever you do today is what what you'll do when the probation closes. It's going to be business as usual. Soon the probation will close. That day is going to be just a regular day. We expect something big to happen and then we repent. 
Nothing big is going to happen, folks. It happens after the probation closes. Nothing big is going to happen. Yes, there will be earthquakes. They have been always. Yes, there will be uh, terrorism. They have been for so many years. They grow. But the problem is that they don't grow instantly. Today, no earthquake. Tomorrow, a thousand earthquakes. They go gradually. No earthquake. More, 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 more. And because the change is so slow, so gradual, we get used with the change. We get used with the tornadoes. We get used with earthquakes. We get used with terrorism. We get used with bad economy. And we don't see that it keeps growing. And as we get used, we never change. If it was good economy, bad economy, you would, oh, man, and change. But because it goes gradually, you get used. Don't expect something dramatic. You need to change without something dramatic. You just need to change because God says so. You see, when Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, leave. They could not. The armies were there. When the armies left, why leave? Economy just recovered. There is no more war in Iraq or Afghanistan. Well, no, it is getting better. When the armies left, it was their opportunity to leave. Those who left, the city saved themselves. The others perished. When God says, you obey, don't wait something big. When it's big, it's too late. Listen carefully now. When Noah built the ark and invited them to enter, who was allowed to enter and who was not allowed to enter? Everybody was invited, including the evil. You are not saved by what you do. You are saved by his grace. The problem is that if you don't experience him, you will not enter even if you are good. Because you don't know him and it doesn't make sense for you. The door was open for anybody to enter. But not even the good ones entered. Because if you don't enter today and tomorrow, you will not enter then. Look around. Sunshine. You talk about rain? Are you crazy? Tomorrow, let's talk about Let's pray about it. What to pray for? God told you to enter. Talk, I talk to him and say, you see, the Bible says Sabbath. Oh, let me pray about it. Pray about keeping Sabbath? The Bible says so. Oh, God, should I keep Sabbath? Duh. Should I enter? Let me pray about it. God told you to enter. What to pray about? Obey. You know the, the experience from uh, Mount St. Helen in Washington. Do you know the story? Probably you do. You see, let me, before I give you the story, let me bring something about dramatic things happening. If we see a miracle we would repent. If you come off the cross, save yourself, we will believe in you. Now, we don't believe if we see a miracle. They saw Lazarus resurrected and they tried to kill Lazarus. Jesus says if they don't believe what is written, they will not believe even a miracle happens. Because that's how we are, people. We see a miracle today. Israel saw the Red Sea split. Forty days later, they worshipped the cow. If we don't repent based on relationship, we don't repent based on miracles because we say in Romania, miracles last three days. That's it. 
After miracle, you forget and then you explain it away. So let me bring you back the story. Mount St. Helena, Washington. Helen, or however is the name. It was a nice mountain. There were English, forget it. Lot of warnings. Many people left their homes. They were told, leave your house, you'll die. I'm not going to leave my house. I worked for it. I paid 23 years mortgage. I have only seven years left over. And it's paid off. I'm not going to leave my house. There is a lot of forest between me and the mountain. In fact, 13 miles of forest. The mountain may do a little damage there. It's not going to get through the forest 13 miles to me. Does it make sense? You think it has to make sense for you in order to happen? Never. They got warning after warning after warning. In fact, there were strong earthquakes. And eventually, eventually, if you know the story, May 18, 1980, there was a small eruption and people were told, go, go, go. They got scared, they started to go and then it kind of calmed down. And they said, as usually, it's an earthquake. We get scared for nothing. They went back. And they were told to leave. 57 families refused to leave. Among those 57, when the mountain erupted, they tried to escape. But their speed was slower than the lava speed. Now, this is how the mountain looked before and after. This guy, his name, you may know the story, Exactly, Harry Truman. He was the most stubborn among all. He said, quote, nothing will happen. The mountain is big. I will not leave my house. I stay here. All is exaggerated. There have been earthquakes before. The forest is thick. Between the mountain and the forest and me is 13 miles. Nothing will happen. I stay here. He is still there. 150 feet under the ground. He's buried there. When it happens, it's too late. You see? Balaam, you remember Balaam? Come and curse the people. He knew that God blessed the people and God told them he would give them the promised land. Why would you go against God when you know clearly what God says? And he says, let me pray. What to pray for? Sometimes we pray not to learn God's will, but to seek God's approval for our will. And he prays, and God in his grace and patience, crazy patience and mercy, says, don't go. If you go, you will die. And he tells them, God doesn't let me go. I would love to go, but he doesn't allow me. And they leave. And the king sends them back. Tell him that I'm going to make him rich. Now, if Obama called you and said, I'll make you rich, what do you do? So, <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. So, he says again, let me pray. Now, let me ask you, didn't he pray before? Did, what did God say? No. Why would you pray again? It seems to me that when we push in prayer, we try to change God's mind instead of allowing God to change our mind. Why do you push? When you say, may your will be done, let his will happen. 
So he keeps praying. And he keeps praying. And he keeps praying. Let me go. Let me go. Okay, go. Because God respects your choice. But God, in his mercy in the Bible, sent an angel to stop him and to save him. And this is curious. In Noah's day, who obeyed God? Animals. People didn't. Isn't that strange? In Balaam's day, who obeyed God? The donkey. Why do we get so blind that even animals obey him and we don't? And listen what he does. He beats the donkey. The pastor beats the donkey. And the angel goes there and the donkey stops second time and he beats the donkey again. And the angel goes there and the donkey stops third time and hurts his feet. And he beats really bad. The Bible says really bad with anger the donkey. And God opens the mouth of the donkey. Now if you are there and the donkey really talks to you. That's something. That's a miracle. You think that if you see a miracle, you will repent. No, you will not. Because if you get so focused on your ways, so accustomed with your ways, you are so paranoid to do your plan that you don't even see when the donkey talks. He, instead of repenting, he argues with the animal. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Haven't, haven't, haven't I been faithful to you? Yes, but why don't you let me go? He doesn't realize he's talking to a donkey. (laughs) That's how we become. When you are focused on your plans, focused on your life, focused on your prayers, focused on your ways, you don't even see when miracles happen. Nothing will move you ever. Don't wait for big miracles to happen to change. Change because God says so. So think about it. Anybody can get blind. You procrastinate and then your heart hardens and no miracle would wake you up. If you don't act today, you will not act tomorrow. That's what Jesus says. It's going to be like you know as they. They got married, they built, they, you just do business as usual. This is what the king says to Paul. You almost persuaded me. That's not good enough. It's dangerous. So, then Jesus says it's going to be like in Lot, like in Sodom's time. How was in Lot's time? Our time, is, I think. No, we have a few more minutes. So, how was in Lot's time? God says, God says, uh, if you remember. Let me get there. Give me a second. Okay, got there. God says, doubt cry is great. I will go down to see if it is so bad. It's like God is sleeping. Oh, I heard something, but I'm not sure I'm going to check it out. God knew exactly what happened there. And he says, I'm going to ask Abraham, should I kill them? Oh, what? They are 50. Oh, then I don't kill them. What's happening here? God doesn't need to go and check it out. God knew exactly what happened there. God doesn't need to ask Abraham permission to destroy them. God has that power. Why would God go to check it out? Why would God ask Abraham permission? We live during the judgment. There are two reasons. 
Number one, God didn't go there to check them. God went there to save if there is somebody to save himself to do whatever to save. If there is somebody that could be saved, to save them. That's his business. He's in the business of saving people. If there is anything he can do for you, he will do it. Even if he has to take you by hand out, he will take you by hand. He will not tell you, let you perish. You just have to let him save you. You don't have to save you. You just have to let him save you. And number two, he will not also go there himself to save you. He will talk to his people because he expected Abraham to do intercession for them. And Abraham did. He started to make intercessory prayer. Would you? Would you? And God likes that because it gives him opportunity to work in front of the universe. It's a matter of justice. God has no right to force conscience. If you say, leave me alone, he has to leave you alone. But if somebody prays for you, it gives him opportunity to work. It's judgment. So, listen. Regardless how weak one may be, as soon as he chooses to turn around, God will do anything to save him. You could have entered the ark. You could have got out of the city. The highest sinner in Sodom. When the angels told them get out, if that sinner would have got out, would have been saved. If that sinner would have got in the ark among saints, he would have been saved. Because when you make the decision to obey Christ and to let him save you, he will save you regardless. Isn't that good news? Think about it. Now listen carefully. This is amazing. You need to listen. Listen carefully. Lot could have preserved his family. He lost his children. He lost his wife. He saved only two girls. You remember? Now listen. He could have saved his family had he not made his home in the wicked city. All that Lot and his family did in Sodom could have been done if they lived 15 miles outside the city, I am saying. If they would have lived in some place distance away from the city. Enoch, Abraham walked with God, but they did not live in the midst of the city. They lived outside. I don't know if she could have said it more plain than that. We love our homes. And we are going to burn with our homes. When you see that the economy goes down, when you see that homosexualism, when you see all those things that happen around us, it is time to move out. Not far, because we are supposed to work with the city and save the city, but not to expose our families to the city. Ellen White talks about Nashville. Do you see the paragraph? She says, I've seen in a vision a big ball of fire coming on Nashville. You remember the quotation? She talks about big cities, she talks about ruin, she talks about disaster, she talks about crimes. And she says, leave the big cities, don't expose your children. I have about 10 pages of paragraphs, leave the big cities, when you see this and that and that. Our people don't. I have a job, I have a family, the flood is not going to come, I am okay. Well, when it comes, it's going to be too late. When the armies come back. You will perish. You expose yourself to disaster. Because the spiritual prophecy, the Bible, they are clear. When God says get out of Babylon, you need to get out of Babylon. Because Babylon is going to burn. That house is going to burn very soon. You really don't want to be attached to the house. You want to be attached to God. Learn to let go. 
Learn to detach. Learn to love him, not to love things. You will lose the house. You will lose the job. Do you want to lose your life? I don't want to bring panic. I am just saying, pray and watch. Ellen White says, if you don't know brothers when to move, pray. And if you are honest, God will give you light. And then she says, God will give you help to sell your house. And then she says, God will help you to find a place in the country. In fact, there are paragraphs who say that. We need to be willing to obey. She says, go outside the city, have a garden, she says. Don't depend on the city. It's even healthier not to buy all the junk that you buy and eat from the garden. Anyway, I'm not going to insist on that. That's only part of it. As long as God gives me power to speak to our people, I shall continue to call upon parents to leave the city and get homes in the country. Believers who are now living in the city will soon have to move to the country that they may save their children from ruin. Wow. I could give you more. I'm not going to. I'm going to move on. So what happened with Lot? The angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels get there. Lot, the Bible says, was at the gates of the city. You know what that means? The expression in the Old Testament, at the gates of the city, means that he was the judge. He was an important man. He had a big function. People would go to him for justice. Everybody respected him. Everybody knew him. He had good neighbors. He had good people working at the courthouse. You think because you have good neighbors, they will not attack you? Oh, you are wrong. I've seen it. In former Yugoslavia, I was driving from my house to the conference office, to Timishara. I was driving and the kid waves. And I stop and take him because in Romania, not many people had a car. When I take him, he has no fingers. I said, what happened to you? I says, well, a Serbian cut my fingers because I was a Bosniak. We used to play together. He was my neighbor. In Rwanda, didn't it happen to kill each other? I've seen on the TV people having fingers of children on a wire around the neck. People become beasts when they don't have a connection with God. Just take their food away and see how they behave. Bring them in a little crisis, financial crisis, food, and they will kill you for a bread. When the persecution comes, it's too late to sell your house and move out. Do it when it's peace. Lot's neighbors respected him. He had a good relationship. They were good people. Not everybody in Noah's time was evil, the paragraph says. Not everybody in Sodom was evil. There were many evil people, but not everybody. Nevertheless, they all perished. So the angels come to Lot. And the angels say, you need to get out. Now listen carefully. This is crazy. Lot talks to Mama Lot. Mrs. Lot, what do you think? Should we obey God? Well, did you talk to the children, says the mother. I'm going to go and talk to them. So Mr. Lot goes to the children. And he has two daughters that are married in Sodom and two daughters that are not married yet. Four daughters. Okay? He goes to the first one. And she says, Dad, did you watch the Weather Channel lately? <laughs> yes. Are you crazy? 
fire from heaven? What's wrong with you? You ate too much last night. Dad, did you watch CNN? It's business as usual. Nothing new. There is no catastrophe. What happened yesterday happened today. It's going to happen tomorrow. What's wrong with you? You exaggerate. You pray too much, Dad. You sleep too little. Listen, Dad. Go home. Sleep tonight. We will pray about it. Oh, that's holy, isn't it? What to pray about? God told you, get out, get out. We'll pray about it and we talk again tomorrow. There is nothing to talk. When God tells you, get out, you get out. And then he goes to the second daughter. And she says, well, my husband works in hospital. He, he, he's busy. Uh, let's wait until he comes from work. And then we talk tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Oh, dad, you are wrong. There will be tomorrow. And they don't listen. Mr. Lot goes back home and talks to Mrs. Lot. Honey, kids don't want to go. Honey, I'm not going to go without the kids. We have a house. We have a job. We have been working hard. We have a garden. This is our life. There is nothing wrong. We go to church. We keep Sabbath. We eat broccoli. We are okay. <laughs> now we do need to pray more. We do need to repent. We do need to love Jesus and pay tight faithfully. But we are okay. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's sleep tonight and talk tomorrow. Don't you do that? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. There is no tomorrow, folks. If you don't change today, you'll not change then. What you do today is what you'll do then. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. So, Mr. Lot, the Bible says, very strange, that the angels, when people that were good neighbors attacked them, good neighbors will attack you. That God struck them with what? Now, there were many people there. If one got blind, I can understand. But if all got blind, that cannot be. So Jimmy says, Mike, I cannot see. Mike says, Jimmy, I am blind too. Peter says, me too. All of them, me too, me too, me too. They say, man, this is not normal. This is a miracle. Okay, let's find the door. Isn't that crazy? They see a miracle and they don't repent. They just try to find the door. If we don't change today, we'll become insensitive and no miracle will ever change us. Miracles don't change people. Miracles are supposed to help you. What God says should change you. If they don't obey the law and the prophets, even if somebody will be resurrected from the dead, they will not obey, Jesus says. Miracle don't change anybody. Okay, so what happens next? Listen. If we focus too much on here and now, this stuff, and we procrastinate, we'll lose focus on heaven. We'll harden our hearts, and we'll be insensitive, and we'll become blind, and we'll never change. Listen what Mr. Lot did. He lingered. That's what we do. Delay. I do it tomorrow. Procrastinate. But don't we have a good God? He says... The, the angels took hold of his hand, of his wife's hand, and of the hands of his two daughters. God is willing to take you by hand. If you have anything good in you, and if you have the desire to obey, God is willing to take you by hand out and still save you. 
Isn't God good? Because he says there, because the Lord was merciful to him. Imagine what a patience. I would have killed him. What's wrong with you, Seventh-day Adventists? But God is merciful. If you want to obey, you may not have the strength. You may wonder, how am I going to do it? But if you call him, he will do anything. Take you by hand, if that's what it takes. He will save you. You don't need to wonder how. You just need to want. He is able to do it. If you focus on you, he's not able. If you focus on him, it's going to happen. Because God abounds in mercy and grace and love and patience. He is ready to help the uttermost, the last one. The problem is that our treasure is not relationship with God. Our treasure is job, house, garbage. Whatever is your treasure, that's where your heart is. That's where you will stay. What you don't give up today, you don't give up tomorrow. The Bible is very clear. Seek first the kingdom of God and God promises. He will take care of the other things. He provided for Elijah. He provided for Israel. He will take care of you. He will carry you in his palms. He will order his angels to protect you. He will order his birds to feed you. Water and bread will be sure. I could go on and give you two pages of Bible promises. But we never focus on promises. We focus on problems. So, let's finish. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. This is the key. Believe. Have trust in God. So listen, folks. Let's finish the Lot story. The angel takes them by hand. They get out. They walk. Mrs. Lot says, we have two brand new camels in the garage. <laughs> we have two brand new camels in the garage. We have children there. I just cannot. Let me ask you, where was her heart? Do not get attached to stuff because you will burn together with it. Detach yourself from things that perish. I am not saying give it to me. That would be nice. <laughs> I am saying that you should seek First, God. And know him enough to trust that he will take care of you. He will take care of you. He will take care of you. He is able. He has done it in the past. He will do it again. He will make sure that you have what you need. And you will experience his grace and his power. But do not be attached of stuff. Have a relationship. Learn to love God. Not things. <clears throat> People who love God will go to heaven regardless how you are. People who don't love God can go to church. Will not go to heaven. So simple. So simple. So, let's finish. Let's finish. Believe in God, believe in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it was not, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place and I will come again to take you there. Jesus is coming sooner than we think. He is at the door. We are seven-day Adventists. That means that we are waiting for the second coming. Shouldn't we be ready? Shouldn't we not prepare today? 
If not today, then when? Why do you think that you are going to change tomorrow? That's what you are going to do. What you do today, you will do then. Folks, God calls the individuals and the church to start praying, start studying, start having a relationship, start knowing, start trusting him, and start obeying in faith. Start moving out, start having gardens, start sacrificing, start serving. Have a relationship. He's going to tell you what to do. No worries. Trust me, when God talks, you may be even deaf and blind. You will know. When he talks, he talks pretty loud. He will even talk to a donkey. Because the point, people ask me, how do I know when he talks? You don't need to. You just need to be willing. If your heart is clean and you are willing to obey, he will tell you again and again and again until you get it. The problem is not if you know. The problem, are you willing? When he called Samuel, Samuel didn't know. He ran to Eli. God didn't get upset. Kept calling and calling and calling until he got it. The problem is not if you know. He will let you know. The problem is, are you willing? If your heart is with him, he will make sure that you get it. And he will help you through it. But you need to have a relationship continually. You need to be willing. You need to say, Lord, here I am. I don't have the power. But I want it. Help me. Make it clear. Don't let me do a mistake. Help me to it. And I will obey. And God is going to take you by hand. And God will find what you need. And whenever you need to do the next step, he will help you to the next step. He will not talk to you today for tomorrow. When you get there, he will tell you what to do there. But you need to have a daily relationship with him. That's how it starts. That's how you get ready. Do today what you are supposed to do today. Don't worry for tomorrow. When you get there, you will cross that bridge. And if you die tonight, but you did today what he called you to do today, you are saved. Okay, my time is up long ago. No, only five minutes ago. I need to get packed. I need to be on the road. I need to be in Kentucky by tonight before 6 p.m. So, it was a privilege to be with you. If you need to hear more, go to LexingtonSDAChurch.org. you find plenty more than you can handle. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and mercy, for your promise that if we call the name of the Lord daily, we shall be saved. Father, I pray for this wonderful group, for this wonderful conference. They are here because they want to know about you. Help us all have a relationship with you, Lord. Help us fix our eyes on you. We know that you will save us because you promised to do so. So we pray in Jesus' name and thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you.